Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Jonathan Strickland, and I'm one of the two hosts of our show. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and I'm not going to laugh at all this episode. All right, that's fair. Podcasting is a very serious business. It is. Let us let us be somber. Despite the fact we're talking about a really cool futuristic technology, tractor beams. Tractor beams, yes. Yeah, this uh, this was something that Lauren had suggested because she saw an item in the news. And at the time, I would imagine Lauren had no idea how incredibly complex a topic this would turn out to be. Yeah, as it turns out, particle physics is not um, simple. Necessarily, yeah. but we're so, going to tackle it anyway. We are, we are indeed, because you know what? We've watched a lot of Star Trek between the two of us. Yeah. We have faith in ourselves. So let, let's talk about what a tractor beam is, especially in that realm of science fiction, because I think that's where most people have encountered the the original idea. Oh, right, sure, and, and especially since tractor beams do not exist as such in three dimensions in the real world. Yeah, yet. Not, so, not not on the macro level anyway. Right, not, not nothing that you could see with your own two eyeballs. Right. So uh, essentially, it's a, a intergalactic tow truck kind of thing. Yes, a um, beam of light that can be used to pull objects towards the source of that light. Yeah, which is, that's pretty phenomenal because uh, as we understand in physics, light does, in fact, exert a pressure. Yes, you know, you might photons not think about it. push yeah. stuff. Kepler said that. Yep, Smart exactly. Guy. Yep, yep. Kepler Kepler observed this, and in fact, it, it serves as the basis for uh, futuristic technologies such as sun sails, solar right. sails. Uh, these would be enormous sails, literally sails, that you would extend from a spacecraft and allow sunlight to press against the sail and thus propel the, the starcraft. Because uh, you're talking about being in an environment where there's no there's no gravity that's affecting you, uh, apart from well, I mean, you're going to have gravity within the solar system, but you're not working like trying to escape gravity at that point. You're actually already out in space. Sure. So uh, you're not having to worry as much about things like friction and gravity. And so smaller forces, for example, photons, can can push in fact you right along. push you along. Yes. Yep. So so to have a kind of light. That would be able to trap an object and even pull it in is sort of counterintuitive based upon the knowledge that photons can push stuff away. So we've seen tractor beams used in lots of different science fiction. You, Star Trek, of course, is one of the big examples. Yeah, the, the first reference was actually in The Skylark of Space, which was a drama by E.E. E. Smith originally serialized in 1928 and published as a novel in 1946. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I do know that it's used in Star Trek quite a bit. Uh, there, there are two things that you have to remember about Star Trek tractor beams. They can uh, pull just about anything anywhere, and if you reverse the polarity, you can turn it into a weapon. Well, reversing the pol- polarity, as we all know, is how you do things in Star Trek. Yeah, I, I was explaining earlier, it is the have you tried turning it off and on again approach in Star Trek. If, if it's, something's not working, reverse the polarity. And then it works. Uh, and then, of course, in Star Wars, it was used. Uh, the Death Star catches the Millennium Falcon in a uh, tractor beam. And, a series of tractor beams, a whole nexus of tractor beams. Right, and pulls it back into the Death Star so mm-hmm. that the Millennium Falcon cannot make its daring escape. This, of course, allows Darth Vader to face off against Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I could go on, but uh, that's not what this episode is about. Also, I suspect that a few of our listeners have seen Star Wars. Maybe. 
Maybe uh, one or two. Episode four is uh, amazing. If you have not seen it, you need to go check it out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so so science fiction it, it is one of those things that is a really useful tool for storytellers. Uh, if they have uh, a story about a ship uh, encountering some sort of wreck or other mm-hmm. kind of, of body out in space that needs to be pulled away. And uh, the nice thing is, is that we've got scientists here on Earth who are saying, hey, how can we do this science fiction thing for reals? Right. Uh, knowing how light behaves and uh, and maybe finding new ways to make light behave in perhaps an unexpected fashion. Well, I suspect that, in fact, Star Trek used some actual research that was going on in the 1960s as a basis for their tractor beam. Because according according to the Star Trek universe, the way that their tractor beam works is uh, it's actually a graviton force beam. And I just made little quotey marks in the air for the benefit of nobody, really. So that was weird. Gravitons are uh, hypothetical particles. That, that essentially mediate the force of gravity. Uh, they're hypothetical because we have not observed an actual graviton. We don't know how we would. We don't, we know that in order for our quantum model of the universe to make sense, we need something like a graviton to exist to explain the force of gravity. There are four fundamental forces in the universe. There's strong nuclear, weak nuclear, electromagnetic, and gravity. Out of those, gravity is the weakest, but it's also the one that we cannot easily incorporate into the quantum model of uh, physics. Right. It's sort of assumed by Einstein's general theory of relativity that uh, gravitational waves are a thing that exists that ripples in the space-time continuum caused by very large moving objects, particularly. Yeah. But nobody has detected these. So, so really, the way we observe this is through the force of gravity. I mean, that's that that's we can see the outcome. We yes. just can't we see can what's explain why. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and to uh, to explain to you guys how weak gravity is in comparison to the other forces, here's a very simple uh, uh, experiment anyone can do. Anyone who has access to a comb and a balloon. So, let's say you've got uh, you, you know get a balloon. You just inflate the balloon with oxygen. Don't do helium because that will negate the results of this test. Check. So, oxygen inflated balloon. You set down on a table. Gravity is pulling the balloon downward. Mm-hmm. I, I am oversimplifying here, so physicists, please don't uh, don't write in and complain. But the balloon is held to the table in part due to friction, but also in part due to gravity. If you were to take your comb and rub it against, say, a sweater and get build up some static electricity on the comb and then touch the comb to the balloon and lift, you would see that the static electricity that was generated uh, while you were rubbing the comb against your, your sweater would be enough to attract the balloon and lift it off the table. That means that the this, tiny amount of electromagnetic force... The static is stronger than the gravity. Than the gravity, yeah. You've got an entire planet beneath you that's, mm-hmm. that is got this very strong gravitational pull, strong in comparison to other things that we directly observe uh, throughout the day, and yet it it is dwarfed yeah, by strong this enough comb. To, yeah, strong enough to pull a bowling ball from the top of a tower. Right, but right. So, and and gravity, just so uh, to to complete the the whole picture here, it depends on two things. It depends on uh, really you have to have two different bodies, but it depends on the body's mass and their distance from one another. But they do exert gravity, a gravitational pull against each other. So. For instance, I have a cup of tea in front of me. I am exerting a very tiny gravitational pull on the cup of tea, and it is exerting a very tiny gravitational pull on me. Now, this is dwarfed by the fact that I'm also on the planet Earth. And that the Earth is exerting gravitational force on both of you. Right. So 
I, you know, I can't observe this. I don't really, I'm not aware of it in any, any way, but that's, that's but the it's case. Happening. Yeah. Right. So th- keeping that in mind, one easy, relatively easy way of having a tractor beam like effect, even though you wouldn't be beaming anything mm-hmm. is to use the gravity of one object to influence the movement of another object. Now, this is something that we've talked about before on tech stuff when we were chatting about could an asteroid destroy the Earth? If if uh, if some space agency, I was going to say NASA because that's the one that I'm most familiar with, but mm-hmm. if, if NASA were to uh, identify that an asteroid 20 years away uh, has the the uh, the chance potential of to hitting Earth. The Earth, yeah, that would be a bad thing. I've, yes. Um, As we all learned in the documentary Armageddon. Yes, that wonderful documentary that taught me that Steve Buscemi is a better singer than Ben Affleck, uh, which I had no way of knowing until I saw that. Anyway, uh, that one way of potentially deflecting the asteroid would be to send a spacecraft up so that you move the spacecraft so it's close enough to the asteroid so that they are, are pulling one another uh, with a gravitational pull. And then you use thrusters with the spacecraft to just very just slowly slightly push, just not yeah. really. Yeah, really, it's pull. Pull. You're, yeah, you're pulling the asteroid because as you move the spacecraft away, the gravitational pull makes the asteroid move with it. Sure. And all you have to do is move it. it the further out you go from Earth, the less you need to move the asteroid so that it has it misses the Earth, mm-hmm. right? Because you're talking about angles. So a couple of degrees. Of, of difference way, way, way the heck out in space. It's going to make enough difference to not kill everything on Earth. Right. It'll miss the planet entirely. So mm-hmm. that's the idea. So that's kind of like a tractor beam in the sense that you're using an object to tow another object, uh, in this case, objects that are in space, but you're not actually shooting a beam of anything. Right. However, yeah, it's not it's not made of light. It doesn't do that cool visual effect. Yeah, it that doesn't you... have a sound effect, which obviously that would not mean not... anything in space anyway. Sure. But hey... Why, that's, why should we start criticizing now? That's a, that's a whole different episode. Yeah. Um, in, in, so in the 1960s, people were really excited about detecting gravitational waves. And a few people, in fact, suggested that we might make a gravity laser. A couple people, Halpern and Laurent, uh, proposed that this could be called a gazer, which I think is a terrific word. Yeah. And I, I think means something entirely different in I, these are modern times. I think, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think at this point, uh, the scientific community would say, can we, can, can we, we mix, a, can mix we, that? can we Let's... vote on this? Yeah. Um, uh, they, they, they propose that we could vibrate some piezoelectric crystals and create a whole thing. And, but that's, it's never really come to fruition because see above re, we have never discovered gravitons. We have never measured gravitational waves. Right. It, for us to be able to create an object that would use gravitons to, to make a tractor beam, we'd first sort of need to prove that gravitons in fact exist. Yes. Cause again, they're hypothetical right now. It's sort of like the Higgs boson, right? The Higgs boson was a, a theoretical particle that physicist said, for our understanding of the universe to make sense, we need this thing to exist to explain why matter has mass. Same sort of thing. In order for our understanding of gravity to make sense within the the framework that we have of our knowledge of the universe, knowing that we are, by our very nature, limited in our understanding – a graviton needs to exist for that model to really make sense. So we're talking about mathematically, yes, these things have to exist. But in reality, we just haven't tracked it down yet. So if we ever do, maybe we can make some sort of technology 
that can take advantage of that. But until then... Until then, maybe no gravitational lasers. Yeah. Uh, I personally hope that uh, we do crack that nut. Because that would be, I mean, it would be an incredibly useful tool and not just in the context of space exploration. That's the one that we all think about because, again, in science fiction, that tends to be oh, yeah. where tractor beams come into play. But mm-hmm. as it turns out, uh, tractor beams could have a really useful uh, uh, well, in, implementation in, in, here on Earth. In space, on the planet, uh, I mean, moving things is hard. Yeah. They're heavy. Yeah, or even if they're or they're really small. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we'll talk a, a, a bit in a second uh, all about how some scientists are making micro versions of tractor beams here on Earth and what those could be used for. But first, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode. And now back to the show. All right. So we've talked about using gravity to create a tractor beam like effect or possibly even using gravitons, assuming we ever understand them. Uh, But that's not the only way scientists are looking into creating a tractor beam-like device. Uh, There's actually been quite a bit of news over the last decade about scientists using various ways of uh, of manipulating light to pull an object as opposed to push it away. Right. Uh, Starting way back in 1986, people started playing with what's called optical tweezers, which are lasers that are capable of manipulating molecules and moving them with precision. And now this is not pulling a particle towards the light source, so it's not technically a tractor beam. Right. But it is it is a method of manipulating microscopic particles very precisely. So if you're thinking about a plane like an X and Y axis, mm-hmm. you could move particles within the X and Y axis, but you're not moving them along the Z axis. That would be you know, from the source of light to wherever the particle is. So in relation to the source of light, the particle would not get closer or further away, but you could trap it and move it within that XY plane. Right. That's that's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. And these are well, I, I, I that's my understanding as well. These these laser beams that are being used for this have a Gaussian intensity profiles, which means that they're brighter in the center than they are at the edges. Right. A Gaussian uh, distribution is a normal distribution, and mm-hmm. it can be for anything from lasers to. Uh, really, you could even see this in social sciences where you do a survey and you have a bell curve that shows a normal distribution. That's essentially a Gaussian distribution. So, okay, light has momentum, right? Right. And so when it hits an object, the object bends the light, which changes its momentum. And thus, the object is pushed back equally and oppositely by the light. Okay, I see. So the light's momentum has changed. The object's momentum has also changed. Correct. Uh, according to the conservation of momentum, which you can see in normal, non-microscopic Classic three dimensions. physics. Classic right. physics, right. And so the, the Gaussian beam is important because if the sample gets off-center in the beam, the weaker light at the edges is bending around the object and pushing it out, but the stronger light at the center is bending around it and pushing it back in, and the stronger force wins. I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes way more sense than everything else I read. <laughs> Because everything I read was a lot of this this uh, research that we did for this particular podcast is in is from scientific journals and uh, and this is a good point for us to make. Uh, Lauren and I we're advocates of science education. Absolutely, we both love science. That being said, neither of us are scientists, and 
we certainly are not particle physicists. No. And so when you get down to the quantum level, uh, there's a certain level of, of understanding that we are able to achieve. And beyond that, this stuff is my, it's like magic to us. So we're going to explain things as best we can. But please understand there are subtleties to this that we cannot easily uh, explain because we haven't dedicated our lives to to this. understanding them exactly precisely. and and by the so if we get anything wrong please do write us in um we, yeah we love getting that kind of feedback right yeah no it, we definitely want to to communicate the correct information as best we can but uh you know this this is exciting stuff so in this case what lauren's talking about is using light to to uh to isolate and then manipulate microscopic particles but uh, at, at this point, this stage, what we're talking about does not include pulling those particles toward the light source. However, right. we have discovered, or rather I should say, we, incredibly not smart people have discovered ways of using light to actually pull things toward the source. In a bunch of different ways, actually. Yeah. Um, there's one of those is called an optical vortex. Um, Sounds kind of kind of freaky. Uh, people, uh, the, the the main research that I've read from this was from um, Australian National University around 2010. Uh huh. So pretty recently, and the the idea of this one is that they use a hollow laser beam to trap light absorbing particles, and um, they they get trapped in the center of this laser beam because the heated air molecules around them are pushing in on them. Gotcha. So they cannot, they can't escape the laser beam. They're stuck in that little hollow center. In the hollow center. In gotcha. the, in the, the uh, donut shaped Laguerre Gaussian laser beam. Yes. That right there. That thing exactly that you just said. Yeah. I, I, I have the note. I, I'm so glad that you did more research on this because when I read that, my eyes kind of glazed over. Yeah. Apparently they were able to move particles about one and a half meters in the air. Yeah. It's, it's really exciting. By, they found out that by using two concentric hollow lasers, they can adjust the brightness of the two of them, thereby heating and cooling the air around the molecules, okay. and and then therefore have the molecules move up and down as they will through this hollow tube of light. Oh, wow. So so you're using two different lasers in order to make the, maintain this kind of movement. That Correct. makes sense. I understand now. Yeah, I was wondering how that worked beforehand, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And yeah, and these are nanofoam particles that they were using to that, that got transported over a meter, and, and all of this is on the scale, again, of, of very microscopic things. Right. What, that's something that's important, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we finish mm-hmm. with all the different laser methods. But yeah, uh, the, the methods we're talking about are very exciting. Don't get us wrong. They are incredibly exciting, particularly in certain very specific uh, implementations, like in the medical field. Oh, yeah. This is all going to be extremely exciting for, for example, uh, removing bacteria from samples, sorting cells. Uh, yeah, manipulate, Manipulating DNA strands is something that optical tweezers have been used extensively for. Right. So the, the, there are real uses for this, but the, these are not the same technologies that will let us move spacecraft like tow spacecraft away, and we'll talk about why that is when we get a little further in, because there are a couple of other laser methods that we need to talk about. Right, right. Um, uh, back back on the kind of sail, the sort of solar sail uh, theme that we were discussing earlier, optical lift is another version mm-hmm. of of light that can be used to do stuff. Okay. Um, it's it's actually just a really simple analog of aerodynamic lift, which of course is when um, you create a uh, uh, how is it? It's higher pressure under a wing than over a right. wing, and therefore letting a plane lift off the ground. Right. In the Which, same. Before we get any further, physicists, 
that's also an oversimplification, and we acknowledge that. Yes, yes. There's more than just Apologies. there's more than just uh, that when it comes to getting an airplane off the ground. We know, Absolutely, we know all about the other forward momentum and everything else, but uh, but that it, that is the concept of lift. Yes, thank you. And so to get slightly fewer angry emails, oh, it's only because Chris and I received. All of those emails already. So, <laughs> but but deservedly so. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes. We love negative feedback. Uh, but so. <laughs> I nearly spit tea all over my laptop. Please don't take that as a as a please don't take Lauren's Lauren's statement as a, a means to send us the most negative feedback ever, because my feelings do get hurt. Oh, and I, I apparently you just made a complete liar out of me that you you almost snorfing your tea completely made me crack up. Sorry about that. I, excellent. But anyway, back to optical lift. Uh, it's uh, the scientists have discovered that that you can take an object with a differently shaped top and bottom surface, and it will experience a lift force when placed in a uniform stream of light. Okay, that's fast. This is all blowing my mind because before we did this research. I never knew about these different properties of light. And and it just it really stresses to me what an amazing universe this is. Yeah. You know, to to know that things behave on such a different level than my previous understanding. It also uh, illustrates quite effectively how ignorant I am. Yes. But I love to learn, so that's okay. Yeah, we get we get paid to learn this stuff and pass it on to you, which is basically the most exciting thing. That's true. Um, uh, one of the other categories that I ran across were mm-hmm. optical conveyors, okay, which are really fun. Those are those are the ones that are using Bessel beams. Ooh, and I, could, I think I, I think that Jonathan has a whole section about this one. Yeah, not a whole section, but I can at least tell you what a Bessel beam is because when I encountered that term, I thought, huh, what what exactly do they mean by Bessel beam? It's a specific type of uh, radiation. And that sort of radiation can be a laser, it can be electromagnetic, it can be acoustic, it could be gravitational. It doesn't really matter what the type of radiation is, it's the form it takes. And that form is a radiation where the amplitude is described by a Bessel function of the first kind. What does that mean? Essentially, it means that as this radiation moves forward, it does not diffract in any way. It doesn't diffuse. It does not spread out. In other words, it remains concentrated. So we, we think of that like a laser beam. When you shine a laser beam, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't spread out like a flashlight does. Sure. But this is a very specific format of that. And right, in because, fact, because actually those those laser beams that were that you point at something are Gaussian laser beams, as we discussed earlier. Yes. And so this is different. Yeah, Sorry, this is different. Ahead. This is different. It, it is it is uh, focused. It does not diffract in any way. It does not spread out at all. And in fact, one a a, uh, a feature of a true Bessel beam would be that if you were to just interrupt part of this Bessel beam, let's let's imagine that the Bessel beam is as big around as a pencil. Okay. Okay. Just for the purposes of illustration, and then imagine that you had uh, used a sheet of paper and cut a little slit in that pencil, and you make the sheet of paper interrupt the Bessel beam. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got the sheet of paper that's interrupting half the Bessel beam; the other half is going beyond the edge of the paper. Sure. A true Bessel beam will heal itself beyond the point of interruption. So if I were wow. to interrupt that beam, further down the beam, it would become whole again. So it would be the same uh, diameter as it was um, at the, the, the before a point where you had that interruption. So that's an awesome thing about a Bessel beam. Now, here's the, here's the caveat. A true Bessel beam would require essentially unlimited power. 
Uh, so Dr. Doom would <laughs> want to make one. Right. Uh, Certainly. But, but none of us would be capable of doing it. It's a, a true Bessel beam is uh, effectively impossible for us to make. We can make things that approach Bessel beams and that uh, uh, emulate many of its features, but a true one is beyond our capability. That is the uh, short and sweet definition of Bessel beam. And do keep in mind, we're not just talking lasers. Like I said, it could even be acoustic. So you could create oh, wow. a Bessel beam of acoustic energy and make a noise that could be heard perfectly at the destination no matter how far away it was. That That is fascinating. Pretty awesome. That's terrific. Uh, so, so researchers are using these, specifically some people at New York University, building on research by a Chinese team at the A-Star Data Storage Institute, I yes. believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, in around 2011-2012, uh, people have been working on using a lens to bend and overlap two of these Bessel beams, um, thereby creating what I can crudely, uh, crudely describe as kind of a strobe okay. effect that will... Okay, it'll hit the front of a particle, and because of that, be- because it can uh, reform mm-hmm. around an object, it will reform behind the particle with enough energy that it actually pushes the particle back towards the light source. All right, so what's happening is the photon is uh, is hitting the particle in such a way as to give it a little kickback toward the actual source of the photons. Correct. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, it's awesome. Like there was one point where I was reading one of these descriptions and I was thinking the only way I could describe this is if you were thinking about having uh, uh, smaller particles uh, being pushed forward because larger particles are sinking down. So instead of being pushed down, they're actually going up. And then I, the more I read about it, the more I'm like, this is a complete misunderstanding of this and I cannot – go with this analogy. Yeah. And that's when I thought, I hope Lauren has got this covered. <laughs> and luckily, she did. Yes. I like the physics. The physics were always the interesting part to me. I was always terrible at algebra, but really good at geometry. See, I, I love classical physics. Quantum physics makes my head hurt. I just... Oh, but that's just, a fun headache. I uh, like the I like the quantum physics headache. Well, if better you than me. What's that terrific quote of, uh, if, if you're not kind of upset by quantum physics, you haven't understood it properly? Right. <laughs> I think all of us haven't understood it properly. I think the people who haven't understood it properly the most have the biggest headaches. Probably. Th- those are quantum physicists. Aww. Anyway, but no, no, I say that as, as I, I, you know, every quantum physicist interview I've set, I've, I've watched tends to include a question that's all similar to, but do you really understand what it is you're talking about? And the quantum physicist almost always says, you know, there's a certain level where I don't. Like, there's certain things that you just say, all right, this is how it is because that's how it is. Mm-hmm. But to to be able to answer why, I can't. And so it's, you know, one of those things you just have to accept. And uh, my brain starts to... Melt out of your ears? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of screaming and waving of fists. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. in, inside the cranium? Inside the brain. Yeah. 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 Uh, but so the special beam optical conveyor technology um, might be an interesting practical use for it. It could be to test the tensile strength of cells. For example, oh. if uh, if a cell has been infected with malaria, it's more rigid than a normal blood cell. And so it could be super useful in tiny microscopic medical purposes. Uh, similar to another breakthrough that was very recent as of the recording of this podcast. We're recording this in early February 2013. And there were some uh, publications that were talking about an experiment that had been performed by scientists from Scotland and the Czech Republic about using uh, a beam of light with a specific geometry to pull particles of polystyrene. And these particles are very, very small. In fact, 
beyond microscopic. We're talking about uh, nanometers, 400, right. 400 nanometers, about 410 nanometers specifically. I think most of the particles we've been talking about have been on on that scale. Yeah, pretty pretty tiny stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, four, 410 nanometers uh, and 1,000 nanometer uh, particles, essentially think about tiny spheres of polystyrene mm-hmm. that are only a few hundred nanometers in diameter. That's essentially what we're talking about here. And they found that by... Uh, uh, polarizing the light in a particular way, they could manipulate these particles. And in fact, not only could they manipulate the particles, but depending upon the way they polarize the light, they could selectively manipulate particles of a certain size while not affecting particles of another size. Yeah, there's a there's a little video of this, by the way, in a press release. We'll link it somewhere on our on our tech stuff yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to take a look at this. It's pretty amazing because you think about that. That means that you would be able to selectively uh, uh, grip, sort, and move right particles. So that way you could you could keep some undisturbed while you're while the ones you're interested in those are the ones you can manipulate and uh and that is a huge breakthrough yeah you're talking about uh, just by by again changing the nature of the light itself being able to uh affect very specific sizes of particles and it doesn't really matter what the particle is made out of they were using polystyrene mm-hmm. in a liquid solution so again this was another breakthrough was that this was something that could work within a liquid making it very useful for medical purposes mm-hmm. so if you wanted to take a blood cell and you needed to uh move certain particles in that blood cell out or off to a side so that you could either uh examine them more closely or perhaps get them out of the way so you could examine something else in the blood cell more closely, it would be a very useful tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, one description that I saw of this said that, uh, and and th- this one in particular, there are a lot of very intelligent people have said very erudite things about all of the rest of these forms of tractor beam manipulation. And I read them and have said them back to you. Uh, this one is so new that not that many people who are smarter than us have really said that many things about it. And so, therefore, I, my, my understanding is tenuous. But one explanation that I saw said that they used a mirror to bounce the laser beam back across itself, mm-hmm. interfering with the head-on photons and thereby pushing. Right. It, the The interesting thing to me was that it was through that interference that creates this pulling motion. Right, right. It, it was not, however, because you, you, you hear mirror and you think, oh, well, all they're doing is shooting the photons, bouncing it off the mirror, and then the photons hit the particle and then push the particle. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. It's the, it's the interaction of the, uh, the oncoming beam and the reflected beam that create this pulling motion. Right. And that, to me, is phenomenal because at first I thought, oh, well, what they're really doing it's is just, just a mirror. Yeah, they're just yeah. they're just pushing. They're not pulling, but that's not the case. It actually is pulling it actually towards the pulling. light source. The the really fascinating thing about this is that apparently under certain conditions, the objects held by the beam rearranged themselves into a structure that made the pull stronger. That's pretty awesome. I mean, this this this, this is so mind blowing to me. The, this this world on the nanoscale is every time I read anything about it, it it amazes me it's like a you know the the two areas i i find the most interesting when it comes to exploration are outer space and nanospace mm-hmm. because there are a lot of parallels i mean weird parallels between oh, yeah. outer space and nanospace oh, fra- fractals fractals say that that's a that is yeah. a known quantity 
Um, that just makes me think of the Jonathan Colton song, Mandelbrot Set, which is awesome. Have you heard that? I do not believe I have Guess heard that what? One. Guess what we're doing after the podcast is over. Excellent. You get to hear a song. Field All right. trip. So uh, we, we, we alluded to the fact that this is stuff that works on a microscopic scale and would not translate to macroscopic. Yes. And Here's the reason why. Yeah, the reason why is that all of, all of this work with lasers, lasers, of course, um, can burn stuff. And if you had a yeah. big enough laser to move, uh, you know, the one of the physicists, I think, mentioned a, a football. Yes. I assume that they were meaning a soccer ball because they were from Scotland. Yeah. And that, uh, is, that was uh, Thomas Sismar. There you go. Uh, and it, it would fry a long time before you would move that soccer ball. Yeah. In, in other words, the, the laser would have to be of such an intensity and size as to destroy whatever it was you were trying to move. So it might move, but only because someone didn't want it to burn down everything else. Right. They, they, it would be moved by someone else who's saying, why do you have this flaming soccer ball in the middle of the field? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's the, that's a problem, obviously. I mean, it's, it's a, it is a non-trivial problem. And I mean, I, I know it's a non-trivial problem and it sounds like I'm being silly, but no, it's non-trivial in that there, as far as we are able to determine, there is no way to get around that using this particular implementation of the tractor beam idea. Mm-hmm. So this would strictly be on the, the nano and micro scale and never get beyond that. Uh, that does not mean that we won't find some other way of creating a tractor beam. We very well may, but it's not going to be using these particular uh, methods because uh, obviously we would end up destroying whatever it was we were trying to manipulate. Right. So we hope we hope that we'll see some of that in the future. Yeah, uh, it's a really exciting area of development, and uh, I any of you who are interested in this sort of stuff, there are a lot of different articles that are available out there, including articles that have been published by these scientists. So if you are of a scientific mind and you want to learn more, uh, there are lots of, of opportunities to learn about it online. Definitely, and we'll, we'll we'll link to some of those on our our various uh, social media outlets so that you can get a chance to take a look at it because it really is fascinating stuff. And uh, and we love tackling these these uh, these sort of topics. They're very challenging. And challenge is a good thing. I mean, if you if we just sit there and talk about, hey, I like video games. Hey, I also like video games. That, get, that gets boring for everybody. Yes. I mean, we know you guys would get tired of that too. So mm-hmm. if you have specific topics that you think, you know, I know this would be a tall order, but I really want to hear more about it, send it our way. You want to know about invisibility cloaks? Let us know. We will look into it and we will explain them to you. Maybe not even using Harry Potter as a reference. Yeah, that's unlikely. That's a tall order. But, mm. uh, but if you have any requests, send them our way. There are multiple ways to get in touch with us. One of them is email. And our email address is techstuff at discovery.com. Or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. You can find us at both those locations with the handle techstuffhsw. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.